The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Well, now we're joined from Republic of Work in Cork by Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning and welcome. Good morning, good morning. How's it going? It's going very well. Now, last week on the programme, we talked to a man, a doctor, a very eminent doctor called Dr. Pierre Corey, who's an advocate of ivermectin. And he quoted this survey and that survey and this test and that test and provinces in India where they were using this successfully. What is the story on ivermectin? It's a fascination, Pat, in many ways. I think you and I spoke about this over a year ago. You may remember I first uh, described there was evidence in Australia, actually, that it was able to kill the virus. And that was good news because here we could have a drug to treat this disease. And if it was antiviral, another weapon to use, you know. And then it's been a fascinating business. Many trials have been run. I mean, it's incredible. I think it'll be a case study when this all ends. Hopefully, probably we'll we'll beat COVID. Because ultimately, it'll be a case study on how to test if a drug works or not, basically. Because so much effort's gone into it. If it worked, it'd be great, of course. Very cheap. You know, it's been used for parasitic diseases, for safe in humans. It has all the right things going for it, you know. But the truth is, if you look at all the data combined, the jury's still out. And we need more evidence to support it. There is some evidence out there, absolutely. And I'm sure that guy on Reddit described some of that, and there is evidence. But but several groups have looked at all the data combined. This, there might be something going on. But there's two massive trials running at the moment, which is fantastic because it'll really test it one way or the other, you know, so whether it works or not. So so at the moment, in, in my view, yeah. in the view of many people looking at this, the jury's out still, sadly. If it works, it'll yeah. be great, by the way. Because they've done it in the Petri dish, haven't they? And uh, they've shown that it does kill viruses. But the dose might be the issue. Yeah, it began in, in exactly in infecting cells in culture. You can do this in labs, you know, you'll infect lung cells, actually. And it was able to kill the virus. It looked really promising, you know. But then the dose was said to be a bit high. Could you reach that dose in humans without being toxic? And in fact, Bill Campbell himself, Pat, the man who discovered the drug, remember, this is a man from Donegal who won the Nobel Prize for ivermectin for treating parasitic He said, oh, look, you may not achieve that in humans. Let's just wait and see. He, he was a bit cautious about it. And that often happens. You can see stuff in a lab. But then in the real world, sadly, it, it doesn't pan out. And companies and people can waste a lot of money then trying to prove something works. And sadly, you can't, you can't get it to work. And it's often the dose is the problem. It's dose limiting because the dose is too high and you can't achieve that dose in the blood. And therefore, it mightn't work. But having said that, there were some studies. There have been so many studies done, Pat. It's incredible. But if you look at them all combined, and, and um, a very reputable organization, organization called the Cochrane Report. They're an independent body. They aren't paid by drug companies. Let's make that clear. They've assessed all the studies and they said at the moment the evidence isn't there. The Australian National COVID-19 Clinical uh, Therapeutics Task Force, (laughs) another bit of a mouthful, they've examined all the data and the WHO has as well. And and all three have said, yes, there's a hint of something, but let's get better data to support. The worst thing probably to approve it, and it could be toxic, you see, it might harm people, that's the worry. But having said that, many countries are using it off-label. You'll hear in, in Brazil, Brazil and places like that, they're giving ivermectin. The, the other concern we have is what's the mechanism? This is a drug that kills parasites. How could it possibly kill a virus, you see? The target in parasites, by the way, is I think a chloride channel is affected. There's no link between chloride channels and COVID, you see. So again, that, that gives us a question mm. as to how it might actually work or not, you know. So there's all these questions in the back of our minds. So we have to, to wait and see. Um, the, the, it wasn't an explicit suggestion from Dr. Corey, but the idea is that the, the drug companies wouldn't want this. I mean, it's off uh, patent now. Anyone yeah. can make it. It's easy to, enough to make and it'll be dirt cheap. So 
if if this came in as a treatment or, or a prophylactic for COVID, yeah. well, why would you need all these expensive vac- vaccines? Well, so he's, that's, the, that, that's if you like the conspiracy the theory. It's not an unreasonable point, but I would say this. If it works, the WHO will pay for it, pal, I'll tell you that much. Because if, now, there was one massive study which showed a 90% decrease in mortality, which is a huge headline. You know, the trouble is that study's been withdrawn because there was errors in it and there were flaws of various kinds and it's now been withdrawn. And that, that's what's stymieing the field. Some, this happens, by the way, some studies aren't as good as others. And, but if it did turn out to be that 90% decrease in mortality, it'd be superb. And I bet the WHO or whoever might say, look, we'll pay for it to help people, you see. So... So I think if, yeah. if it does work, as I say, it'll be really good. But I have to wait. There's a massive trial running at the moment by Oxford University. When you talk about the principal trial, they're testing 5,000 people, three-day treatment. The NIH themselves, the big in the US, they're running a massive trial as well. Now, remember, these are proper double-blind placebo control trials, the gold standard. Many trials weren't that. They were observational. Now, that can happen as well, by the way. It's, it's not necessarily the wrong thing to do. But to get the compelling evidence, you need to do the classic double-blind. And we're all waiting. I'd love to see the results from the Oxford trials soon. And, and if it does work, then I've no doubt it'll be adopted if it works well. Now, the the business of developing a drug from scratch that would work is, you know, a gargantuan task. You've got to go through all the testing and then you've got the, the trials and then you've got to get approvals and so on. Much better if you can get existing drugs that are safe for humankind and that might work against COVID-19. And the WHO are looking at three particular drugs at the moment. Yeah, and ivermectin was that, by the way, if I remember. That's called repurposing. So a drug works in one disease. Could you repurpose it for another? And it does seem unusual because why would a drug work against the parasite and against the virus, for example? You know, But the WHO, yeah, they've picked three drugs that are actually working in different diseases. And there's some evidence that they work in humans in COVID as well. So it's a bit like ivermectin in a way. You know, uh, One is called artesunate. It's an anti-malarial drug. And again, that, again, is not unlike ivermectin in a way. Here's a drug that kills malaria. Could it work against COVID? Big trial running with that one. Now it's safe in humans. There was evidence it's anti-inflammatory, which, of course, is what we want to suppress the damaging lung inflammation you get. A second one is called imitinib, which is used for cancer. But again, someone saw it was stopping lungs getting harmed in COVID. stops leakage in the lungs, actually. There was an initial study in Holland that showed that, and the WHO liked that data. So let's try that next. And then a drug called infliximab, which, which actually many labs have worked on. My, my lab works on this area. It targets a thing called TNF, which is inflammatory. And again, there was evidence of, of it maybe suppressing lung inflammation. That's now being tested. And WHO have decided to go after those three. And and um, the first one, artesunate, is a very cheap drug. So again, if that worked, you could see WHO will yeah. say, let's use this now because it's very cheap. And again, that's a really high-powered trial. It's amazing. But it's 52 countries uh, are involved in the trial, thousands and thousands. of. You need those kinds of numbers, you see, to get the proof you're looking for. And again, sadly, ivermectin wouldn't have had those kinds of numbers for various reasons. So in other words, this is, a, this is the way to do it. 52 countries, tens of thousands of people will be tested with these drugs and they will find out if any one of those works. Mm. And again, if any one of them works, that'll be a wonderful weapon to use in hospitals for people who've got COVID. Now, the third thing you want to talk about today is myocarditis, which is heart inflammation, which is said to have been triggered by some COVID-19 vaccines. What's the science? Yeah, it's important this, Pat, because this, this is a side effect that does afflict the 12 to 15 year olds potentially. It was spotted early on, again, with the fantastic monitoring that's happening. I remember saying um, every trial, every, every sort of uh, situation is being measured with people on vaccines. Any adverse events are reported immediately and the EMA will look at this in the FDA. And this was spotted. Uh, there was a very rare incidence of a heart problem 
in your males mainly under 30 it was spotted in first after the second dose of Pfizer and Moderna there was an incidence of this but now they look closely at it and you're much more likely to get myocarditis from the virus in fact you're six times more likely to get this rare heart condition from the virus itself than you are from any vaccine and the numbers are quite good but they were, no, it's very rare there were 450 cases per million in infected people, which is still rare, there was 67 per million in, with the vaccine. You know, so there you have your six-fold okay. roughly difference there. So, so in other words, it, it is a, another, another very rare side effect that yeah. the vaccine But it's eminently treatable anyway once it's diagnosed, isn't it? Yeah, nobody died. That's the next thing to say. But the people who got it from the vaccine, mercifully, there were no deaths. You can give them anti-inflammatories. You get a bit of chest pain and some palpitations and it will resolve, you know. So, so even if it emerges, and again, remember, Pat, they'll be looking for this in, in, in the vaccinated group. Within about, um, I think it's like 10 days of the vaccine, if you have any hint of anything untoward, talk to your GP and then you, this can be treated, even though it's extremely rare. But it's most unlikely people will come across this really. Now, some of the questions coming in. My 13-year-old son got his first Pfizer yesterday. All went well. I'm now getting notifications to make an appointment to get his secondary school immunisation injections, the HPV vaccine, dose 2, and the men ACWY vaccine. I don't know what that is. And, of course, in four weeks he gets his second Pfizer. I believe it's too much in his body. I would really appreciate Luke's view on this. That's from Marie. Yeah, that's understandable. That'd be a worry because parents would say, oh, there's all these vaccines and another vaccine to add to the mix, basically. So you can understand where that anxiety would come from. But that's the advice. There's no, nothing to worry about. And we, we often give vaccines together. Remember MMR being a famous one. You know, often vaccines, more than one vaccine is given to the tiny amounts in each vaccine, remember, really small amounts of material. So it is possible to combine them. So, so the, the situation is follow the advice. If they're recommending do that, then I would definitely do it. Could you please ask Professor O'Neill his opinion on the relative vulnerability to COVID of those on potent immunosuppressives uh, post-vaccine, in particular rituximab um, yeah. for MS? You probably yeah, know that's that drug, a, rituximab. I do indeed, but that, that's a very successful drug, actually. It's used in arthritis and in MS. It's a really good immunosuppressant and it dampens down your immune system in overdrive, as we know in those diseases. It's quite a commonly used drug. Yeah, I mean, the immunosuppressed people are being looked at really closely. And they're the ones going to get the booster, remember. The first group to be given boosters will be the immunosuppressed people because the vaccine mightn't have worked as well in them because they're on a drug. Now, some people will come off that drug, interestingly, before the vaccine to try and make sure the immune system works in response to the vaccine. Some have done that and some haven't. But, but it's a very important question to ask. At the moment, they're not going to give boosters right now, but I suspect that boosters will be given to people on, on immunosuppressants just to really protect them, you know, is the idea there. Because there is some evidence of the vaccines being slightly less efficacious if people are on immunosuppressants. Another one from Jim. Could you ask, Luke, what's going on around post-vaccine long fatigue? My wife and I are affected three months after AstraZeneca. Yeah, well, this is this is the sad truth of long COVID. But as we know, I mean, we, we know it's a reality. I think it's running at around five to ten percent. We'll have some kind of persistent infection mm-hmm. uh, symptoms. A few, but weeks they, after, they're you know. suggesting they have long fatigue after AstraZeneca, after the vaccine, rather than the. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, there wouldn't be. You wouldn't say one particular vaccine is causing that over the other. Just a small number of people, sadly, will have things like fatigue. They might go on for a few weeks. The, the good news is it, it resolves in most people over time. It must be said that that's the good part of that in a way, you know. So I think it's just a question of just wait and hopefully mm-hmm. it'll begin to resolve. 
My child played a match last Friday. Yesterday we were told there was a COVID positive player at the game. We don't know if it was our team or our opponents. The GA tell us the players are casual contacts and not to worry. My question is, how should I proceed now? Should I worry? Must I keep away from uh, my elderly family? I'm just so exhausted keeping my children calm and get them back to being children. I need some advice. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, if you are a close contact, you have, sadly, you have to follow the advice, you know. And obviously, yeah, you'd, you'd be a bit more careful just just for a, a week or so, you know. And obviously, if any symptoms emerge, that's the more important part of this in a way. There's a, there's a low chance the person got infected, by the way, it could be low. But if any symptoms emerge, talk to your GP, you know, and then get a test and so on, you know. But these things are a concern for people, obviously, you know. Um, my son and his girlfriend, who are in their 30s, are refusing to get COVID-19 vaccines as they've been told it will cause infertility later on and that studies have shown that it can occur in three years' time. <laughs> the vaccines haven't been around for three years. No. Uh, anyway, that's just to, by the way. Are they correct as it's causing problems with the immediate family who are all vaccinated and are worried about unvaccinated people in their midst? No, there's no evidence at all that these vaccines affect fertility at this stage, you know, and there's no way they could. Remember I said about ivermectin, if you say something is whatever it might be, you need, you need a mechanism. How would it cause this thing to happen? That gives us more confidence. And there's no way these vaccines are in any way are, are, are able to affect fertility. So that's, not, that's something that you shouldn't really worry about. Uh, another one from Claire in Cork. Can you ask, Luke, if someone who catches two or three colds every year is more likely than most to catch COVID because I'm heading back to the office soon? If anything, it might be protected. And as we discussed before, Pat, there's, there was evidence mm-hmm. out there that, that the common cold might give a little, tiny bit of protection. There was a 20% protection in one study, actually. The, 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 the cold can be caused by coronaviruses and they're in the same family, you know. And if you recognise the cold, you might recognise COVID and then you might actually see some protection if you yeah. had the common cold. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Yeah, you, you and I were talking about this before and no one's done the study as far as I know, but whether or not uh, GPs were basically immune to COVID. Um, yeah. by and large because or, of all teachers, the coronaviruses teachers. or teachers because of all yeah. the, 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 the coronaviruses they've come across over the years. That's right. And, and again, there's yeah. more evidence to support this, by the way, Pat, that if you've had other viruses that are similar to COVID, you will get immunity to them. And then you get some cross protection, it's called, by the way. This is quite a well-known thing. You, know. you get cross protection with the other one that's related, you know. Now, it's not full protection. It's a statistical thing in mm-hmm. numbers. But there is some evidence that having colds might give you some level of protection against COVID. Peter wants to know, could you ask Luke if he honestly believes life will ever go back to pre-COVID times or should we prepare to permanently live with this new reality? No, it has to go back. I mean, obviously, the, the, big, the big thing in the next few months will be living with COVID because remember, all the restrictions are harmful as well, as we all remember vividly from the lockdowns. These, these, these things are not without consequence, you see. So now, again, we can't reiterate enough about the power of the vaccines and that's the answer. And, and if people worry about the, the Delta form and the next form, the boosters will probably be Delta and they will definitely protect you, you see. So, so now mm. I think we will, we will we'll see a slow return. I mean, again, there may be a few bumps, so it won't be plain cycling just yet. We aren't there quite yet, but we still remain optimistic. All right. Uh, Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you very much for joining us from the Republic of Work studio in Cork. (music) 